thank God today for such mercy. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Lord Jesus, I'm sure that we through eternity will still be returning that gratitude from our changed hearts. When we look and see the great mystery of God, of what you've done in our lives, what we see even now with our limited ability, it so, so moves our hearts. I can't imagine what it will be that day when we step into those new bodies. We'll finally have voices, hands, ears, eyes, bodies that will be able to glorify you in the way that we want to hear. It's like we know there's a more perfect way to worship. It's like we know there's more that we can do and say. But we're so limited by our language here and by our ability. We love you, Father. We want to do the very best we can with this poor frailty called humanity that we have until we receive those glorified bodies. We ask you today, Lord, that you take your word and speak to us, Father. Anoint us, Lord God. We believe that you have a body on the earth, a bride, and that your prophet call them Messiahs. And we believe that once that word becomes quickened in our hearts, then, Lord Jesus, it can really manifest what you desire. We don't want to just pray for the sick and them get well, and we do that, Lord. We don't want to just do the miraculous, but we're, we're learning more and more about your purpose of coming to the earth. You did great phenomena. You did great miracles and supernatural. But you also knew how to follow that indwelling presence when it would not allow you to perform a miracle. No doubt your feelings are so moved as you looked upon people as they suffered. And you knew how to follow that hush that was in you. Teach us, Lord God, your ways, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you all today. Happy to see every one of you. Hope you all happy to be here. Amen. Amen. Thank the Lord. It's a great opportunity that we've been given to us in this day of trouble and darkness and heartache that's going on around the world. Thank the Lord for his mercy. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, if you would, this morning. We're continuing to speak on this thought that we've been on, reconciliation through kenosis. <clears throat> I love, I've always loved, even when I was back in Pentecost, I love the, the book of Hebrews. Needless to say, I didn't understand it very much at all. Sometimes I wonder now how much I understand it. But anyway, I've always, I've always loved it because it covers so many wonderful things. But it's like in the last uh, couple of months that it's taken a, a, new, a new turn for me personally, um, looking at what what our Lord was and what he become and what he made us to become out of that. Let's read together. We'll begin in verse 10 and read down through verses 13. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things. So he was the reason that they were made and he was the one who made them. And by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. Now he would jump from the creation of the stars and the universe and all those great things. He would come then to bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect 
through sufferings. For both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause, think of what a profound thing, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Now remember, this is the Lord Jesus. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold I and the children which God hath given me. Behold I and the children which God hath given me. May the Lord bless his word. You may be seated. What a profound thing that Paul would be able to write to that early church. And it was not only a great blessing to them, of course, but down through the church ages it has been to the people of God. I cannot imagine that during the uh, darkness of the church ages that the relevance of this could have been quite the same as it was in the Ephesian age when they were still under the uh, personal anointing of Christ himself, which was the usurping in of the first church age. Uh, it must have really squandered in the darkness of, of Catholicism and down through even the Reformation of them trying to understand. Imagine coming from uh, paying money under novenas and uh, paying money to buy loved ones out of purgatory and all the things that they were taught, which was absolute nonsense, of course, to trying to come to a realization that Jesus Christ somehow was your brother. Uh, they were just coming in the beginning of the Reformation, of course, in the days of Luther, to understand that the just would live by faith, that they were not saved by somebody giving money to pray you out of purgatory, and if you didn't live a pretty good life, you would go into purgatory, and then your loved ones would be able to give so much money to the church, and they would be able to pray you out of there and purge your soul. And you imagine going from that uh, to understanding that you were actually justified by faith in Jesus Christ and accepting Him as your Savior. So you can see that God, it would have been too much. It would have been too overwhelming to have brought them straight from the darkness of Catholicism out under the Reformation of Luther and then to bring them into the bright shining light of who the children of God truly are and who they were. So we can see that God, even in the time of, of John Gill, and the time of Charles and John Wesley, and the time of Whitfield, and the time of many of those men, as it was coming on up into the second work of sanctification, and then into Seymour, and many of those men in the early Pentecostal days, as it was coming to the restoration of gifts, that the emphasis still was not yet shining on the bride and her position, because the, the focus must change upon the deity of Christ. So we know that that would be the first order of preeminence, that there must be a restoration back to who he is. 
So them understanding and seeing that God had a church and that God had a people of something he wanted to do with, but yet God struck the earth in those early days of Pentecost, and it was not in the days of Luther or in the days of Wesley or in the days of Whitfield and many of those men that were good men and they did a great work for God, but it was in the, the beginning of this our age that God began to restore and start out with an enlightenment of the correct formula of water baptism. Now, isn't it amazing that you look at the very age that God is going to bring a bride back to her position of who she is, but before she must come to the knowledge of who she is, she must understand who he is first. And she's not going to be able to understand who he is as long as she thinks he's three or two. So God allowed the revelation to strike the earth of the deity of the Godhead and the correct formula of water baptism that it was not no longer sprinkling, but it was actually an immersion which the early disciples had performed and did for several hundred years and carried out water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ instead of titles. But still, even in that light that God gave on those early days of Pentecost, it was not the bride light yet. It was not time for the bride to come to her recognition of who she was because the groom must come to his place first and have the proper preeminence in the body. You understand that? But once God now allowed the revelation to strike the earth, then that was a forerunner of the evening light message, which would now also help the bride to see not only who the Lord Jesus was, but who she was in coming to her place. Still in those early days of the revealing of Malachi 4, there was initial light that began to spring forth, and the revealing of the Son of Man started, and people, of course, had all kinds of questions and you can imagine why they would because for the first time in the Gentile history we have a man that would stand before hundreds and many times thousands of people and he would call people out and tell them what their names were, what their addresses were, where they lived. He would tell them that they had just stood before a doctor two days ago, three days ago. The doctor was heavy set, had on glasses. He would tell them what the doctor told about them, the doctor's diagnosis and the doctor's prognosis of their condition. And yet move from that realm and say, but I see you, you're well in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now it must have been so astounding. And we know that something like that has the power of deliverance, but it also has the power of entertainment. Now, many, as we know, many people become identified with that, and they wanted to become entertained by that gift. And you can watch them in the prayer line as long as he was calling people out, telling them their names, telling them their conditions, their faith would rally. It would rise very, very high whenever he would stop to rest himself, and he would just pray for them, lay hands on them. Then you can watch the faith of the people as it would go down. He would catch it, and he would say, now, don't let your faith die. Don't let your faith go down. He's still here. He's still here. Look at this. Now here you are. Your name is so and so. You come from so and so. Once again their faith would come right back up again. Now it led the prophet to a, a couple of different phases of the time in his life when he had to come back to us and tell us that he began to put actually the sign before the word. And he actually repents before God 
and repents before the people and asks the people to forgive him. He said, God have mercy. What have I done? I have pointed the people to the signpost instead of pointing them to the word. But you can see why. Because the people himself so wanted that sign. It's still something in human beings today. They still love signs. And it's not so much many times to prove the presence of God, but it is the entertainment aspect that people love it. People love to watch God perform. I love to see it myself, but I try my best by the help and the grace of God to not let the supernatural become a higher form of entertainment. But you see, there's something about human beings that we tend to lean that way. So you can see that in those early years that it was the beginning of the revealing of the Son of Man. It brought confusion among the people because some people then mistook the messenger himself for the Son of Man. And some thought actually that it was the Son of Man come on the earth that had become the human body. Not to live in the human body, but actually become the human body. Insomuch that they would call his mother Mary. And they would believe that it was another an immaculate conception. Of course, we'll always have those natural people because they're not bride, they cannot be born again. They will always take the supernatural, the phenomena of God, and they will make it of something that Satan wants them to instead of keeping it of what God wants them to. But that does not stop them that the further revealing of the word will unfold itself. Imagine it must have been a great longing in the prophet's heart in his day to have message churches by which he would have been allowed, as Paul was, to be able to travel about and go in the different parts of the world and different message churches as it was in the States and be able to bring the message of the hour in the way that he actually saw it. Now, for whatever reason, God never allowed the prophet to have that opportunity because he was still preaching the message, things that are to be, was preached in an assembly of God's church. The message, the rapture, was preached in a full gospel businessmen's meeting. He never got to preach that in a message church. Now, I've been told by those who were actually there in that meeting, the rapture, that they, the people, it was a banquet, so the people were in the back, and they were clearing the tables, and they were picking up the dishes, and they were actually standing back there like this, waving their hands, trying to stop the prophet as he was preaching one of the most astounding sermons that he'd ever preached in his entire ministry. Now you'd never pick that up but the way that he preached. He just went right on and ignored them and I'm certainly glad that he did. But you can imagine now you're a preacher standing on the pulpit and you've got people back there in the back waving their arms trying to stop you. You know making these types of signs trying to get you to sit down but it just keeps right on going. So you can go imagine how it would have been if he would have been able to preach the rapture message in Happy Valley Church or Evening Light Tabernacle or some message church somewhere. So the evening light for the bride time had not actually begun to break until the last few years of Brother Branham's ministry when he is able to bring it, although most of the people that he's preaching it to apparently did not perceive it. 
Now, even in Jack Morrison's Shreveport, of course, they, he's a bosom friend of Brother Branham, but yet the message stumbled Jack Moore. Brother Branham tells us about this, what house he built for me in Tucson in 1965. It stumbled him, election stumbled him, and the message of Elijah, Jack Moore, I've been told by someone who spoke to Jack Moore sometime before he died, that Jack Moore still did not believe that Brother Branham was Elijah. But Jack Moore believed that the Elijah anointing would be on a group of people. He was never allowed to see the message of there. Now you think about a man that was able to travel in different parts of the world where Brother Branham and see the supernatural that he saw, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, but yet his eyes were never open to see the message of the hour. I'll tell you one thing, you are blessed. Most of us were never there. We never saw no meetings. We never saw no miracles. But yet we've been endowed with an insight to be able to see the message of the hour that some of those that were with him never saw. Now in seeing that, there must then of necessity come a change. And the change will actually begin in the God called ministry first before the laity will ever be able to escalate to that place to see their position in Christ Jesus as the dispensation changed from John the Baptist to the Lord Jesus and then whenever the Lord Jesus became the atonement and the sacrifice and through the ascension, it must be the ministry that would catch the change. So the Lord tells the disciples, I want you to go up to Jerusalem. I don't want you to preach no more. I don't want you to heal the sick no more. I don't want you doing nothing until you go to Jerusalem and you become endued with power from on high, which he identified in St. John 15 as the promise of the Father. So there it is of necessity that the ministry receives the new life and with it will come new enlightenment to help them positionally place the word. Now, they've got to preach the atonement, which is the Lord Jesus, and they must preach out the phasing out of the law and the merging in of the new sacrifice, because they're mainly preaching to Jews, and the Jews are still wanting to go up to the temple and offer a paschal lamb, and they've got the great challenge of being able to bring to them that the lamb of God has now become a human being. It is not an animal. And that was the sacrifice of that lamb of God, which was Jesus Christ, he released his own soul as the prophetic word of Isaiah said that he would. That he would make and offer his soul as an atonement for many. So the apostles had to become the quickened ones that would be able to take this new light to the people. Now it must have been so overwhelming to them after they received the Holy Ghost, the new birth, and the enlightenment of the Spirit of God begins to come to them individually but also collectively. It must have been one explosion after another, after another, after another that after receiving the Holy Ghost that the Spirit of God began to bring back to their memory and build in their own understanding the misunderstandings ahead of the Lord Jesus the misunderstandings ahead of Isaiah of Jeremiah, of Ezekiel of Malachi, of Habakkuk of all the prophecies that they had heard but the new birth now brought them to an enlightenment oh it must have been awesome it must have been awesome whenever they were there and they would read the word and they would also begin to recall the words of the Lord Jesus now remember whenever they began to preach 
They actually do not have the four gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts, Romans, Philippians, Galatians, Philemon, all of those are non-existent. So when the apostles begin to preach, what they have are the first five books of Moses, and then they have the Pentateuch, which are the Old Testament books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Malachi, Habakkuk, and those books, but they have no New Testament books at all. So they have their memory of what the Lord Jesus had said, and then they have the Old Testament prophecies of remembering what he gave them, plus now their own new births. And no doubt they must have sat around and talked about it and think, well, you think this meant that and did this go here and that goes there so it was totally new but it must begin with the ministry itself now it's the same then that the message of the hour must come in the exact same channel it was the same way with Luther same way with Wesley George Whitfield and the others as I've quoted to you this morning that God would call men now many of you know that the Azusa move out in California it started with a black man that had one eye that was put out uh, Seymour was his last name and he started in the early days and you imagine God taking a black man which for a lot of the white people at that time they would have never ever heard a black man well that was to their loss but it showed to us that God has no respect of persons and God has no respect of skin color that's right. God does not look at the white race as being the supreme race, nor does he look at the Native American or the Jews or whatever more, but by one blood and by one spirit, we're all baptized into that one body. So God uses whoever he wants to use, and if you don't like it because of their skin color, well, that's your loss, and that's your problem and not God's problem. So God then began to use this man, but it wasn't but a matter of time till they then chose tongues as being the evidence of the Holy Ghost which gave the denominational spirit entrance into the new message of the restoration of the gifts. And then God sends his prophet of course during that same time frame accurate now births and of course Hitler's on the earth at the same time. 1946 great things are moving on in the governments of the world and God also sends the angel of the Lord to the earth. The early years of the ministry that God endowed the prophet with would be great signs and supernatural. He would not really bring forth the, the content of the message, the broad message, uh, for many of those early years. As a matter of fact, he was very much accepted among the Pentecostals. He was accepted among the Trinitarians, the Tunis, the Oneness. He was accepted among many of them because the earlier years, God did not really anoint him to set forth the declaration of the bride's call. So he was doing a lot of fishing. Let me say it this way, that he was putting a lot of the bait on the hook and he was trying to catch a lot of different people. Now some of them of course saw the healing and the miracles and the supernatural and they went on to know that there was more to God than just healing but some of them whenever the message began to come forth they stumbled they did not have a clue what was going on. But as God went on in time then he began to especially after the opening of the seals God began to reveal to the prophet it was now time to let more of this come in, in plain, plain view. And the mystery of Christ being revealed even in the prophet's own ministry he tells us in 1963 that it come to a spot it had just come to this time that it was just now being revealed 
Now, he was called for that purpose because the angel of the Lord, when he met him up there in the, and whenever he was there at the cave and when he was there in the little house praying, the angel of the Lord began to quote to him certain scriptures which would be the manifestation of his office. And that was Malachi 4, St. John 14, 12, and many of those things. And he said whenever he told him that, he began to look at us what it would be. Now, on the sign in Tampa, whenever he tells us about the trial, and he told, told us in the sermon there, he said to me, it was the fulfilling of Malachi 4. It was the fulfilling of Luke 17:30, Revelation 10, 1 to 7. But in those early years, you can see as God begins to show his prophet that the emphasis was on the first pull and the second pull. God shows him the vision now of the three pulls in 1956. But we know that the clarity of that had not yet arrived. And God was going to hold it back and time it and synchronize it with the revealing of the word so that when the opening of the seals took place in March of 1963, then it was not just, you know, something, well, this thing's just never been preached before. Because even the seals themselves, part of them are a gathering of the loose ends. You see, when you study church history, you realize some of these great truths that the message are made out of, that Brother Branham would read this man's writing and he'd pull that truth out of there. He would read this man's writing and pull that truth out of there because the seventh angel had no certain message, but he is to gather those lost truths, those things that were truth. Luther had some truth. Wesley had some truth. Whitfield had some truth. Seymour had some truth. Many of those men had truth. So the seventh angel does not have one particular message only like justification or sanctification or the restoration of gifts but he sent to gather the loose ends that were left and frayed out while the denominational ages were going out then whenever he leaves the scene of course you got different men and this one's going to be the leader and this one's going to be the leader and that always has to be that way it's Satan that uses many men to try to divert the bride from what the real message is it's always been always will be is that right? But in reality, when we look into the revelation of the revealing of God's person, we know that it's never about this man being great, that man being great, this church being great, you know, this move being great. It's always about the Almighty God Himself being great. Anything that you and I would ever amount to is a story of the grace of God. Is that right? None of us have anything. I don't care what we've done. I don't care how many people we've prayed for, how many miracles that we've seen God do in our ministry or our lives. None of us have anything to brag about when it comes to humanity. But it is the work of the Holy Ghost in our heart. Now, the Lord Jesus began to drop these things in the first, uh, as the first church age was breaking forth. With his departure, we know, of course, there was a few years to where it was not the church age that actually had begun. But it was the intimate time between the bride and the groom in those first few years. And then the church Church age actually began in AD 53. So we have almost a, a period of about 20 years by which there was no church age. So what was that time? It was the time when the Alpha himself was becoming acquainted with the Alpha bride. And the bride was reflecting everything that God wanted her to be. So she was not Catholic. She was not Pentecostal. She was not Baptist. She had no, no certain creed or no dogma that she 
she was known by. So it was a time that she was free from the identification of a man. And it was went on for quite some time, even before they began to call them an Antioch Christians. Now, they did not do this as a term of an adjective by which they could define these people. They did not mean it in a way that was complimentary. They did not mean it as an, in an honorary way. Yet today, we kind of say, well, we're a Christian. Well, we do not say that in a way of reproach. In that day, if you would have been called a Christian, you was a heretic, you was made fun of. Actually, in the Roman language, uh, they would have Latinos, or Latin rather, they would have called them Christianos. So it was Christianos. So when you were called that, you were identified as a heathen. You were identified as one of the lowest names you could have been called. So they were free from any identification of a man. And then the church age begins in 53 AD. So notice then, it was bride before it became church age. So what will God wind up finishing out before the rapture? It will be that space again of the bride time or the bride light. It will be right at the end of the Laodicean age because the Laodicean age will go right on through until the end, of course, the end of time. But it will actually be a span of time that the elect of God will be called out of those denominational systems even inside our own message. And we won't be identified with this man or this bishop or this, that, and the other. But we will be identified with the Lord Jesus Jesus himself. So we're not interested in following this man and his idea or this man and his revelation, but we're interested in the truths that God has restored in the last day by Malachi 4. Is that right? Now, in that, there are so many things that are involved in these great truths. And it involves, of course, the deity of our Lord Jesus as we've been looking at it. It involves the, the very life of God himself coming back in the believer. It also involves a body move that will be more than a church age or a symbolism of just a, a group of people gathering together but the attribute of the fullness of God will actually be restored in bride form in the last day it will follow the antitype that was given 2,000 years ago when the attribute of the fullness of God appeared in one man. As Paul said, great is the mystery of godliness, for without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and received up into glory. Colossians 1.9, also 1.15, 1.18, he refers to us the deity of God for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And then after his departure and ascension into heaven, then there was that attribute that was now being represented in what? A bride, a body in the feminist form, the Lord Jesus living inside of his wife. Now, if it's going to be the same way, the Omega bride will be the same as the Alpha bride, then after the church ages, what will come? The Son of man will reveal himself again and it will be the attribute of the fullness that will come and it will precede or be the prelude of a body move on the earth that the fullness of the attribute of God will be in the bride again now it ain't going to be in me it's not going to be in you as individuals but it will be in the body that attribute must be inclusive in what she is in order to call the rapture and the resurrection 
You see, the attribute of the fullness of God in our Lord Jesus Christ empowered him with the ability to raise his own body from the grave. That attribute of the fullness of God. Elijah did great miracles and he did not have that. So there was things about the Lord Jesus that was more superior, more outstanding, of course, to any of the rest of the prophets that had ever lived on the earth. And it must be so that in the last days, in the middle of chaos, in the middle of darkness, that the Spirit of God will bring a bride, a people to her position in the end time. You believe that? Now what? So it must be something to do, you know, that there will be an adhesion an adhesion between the positive of the love of the bridegroom and the submission of the bride there'll be something between them that will bond them together and the prophet tells us in proving his word that it actually will be the revealing of the son of man it will be the son of man the bride call will come through the son of man and it will bring them together in a union that actually just preachers alone could never do miracles and signs will never do it. It's actually the Son of Man Himself. Now this existed in the early church for that 20 years prior to the beginning of the church age. And there was such a oneness between the Lord Jesus and His body on the earth that they took note of the apostles that were doing these great phenomena and supernatural. They took note of them that they were ignorant and unlearned men. But they also took note that they had been with Jesus. Now these men were not great scholars. They were not great men that had degrees of education. They were not, you know, great men that the scribes would fellowship with or the Pharisees or the Sadducees. But the identification of these men was that they had been with Jesus. Now you believe whatever you wish to about that. I think it's more than just that they were with him in the natural sense. It's not enough just to put your arm around Jesus' neck. It's not enough to just shake hands with Jesus, but you've actually actually got to be with Jesus and Jesus be with you. That union was actually introduced by the Lord Jesus himself. Now we know in St. John 14, which was the beginning of this intimate revelation that the Lord was going to share with his apostles, and of course John being the, the one of divine love. John caught much of his of, of the divine part between God and man that Matthew, Mark, and Luke never penned when they wrote it down. But God, John was inspired by God because John was so sensitive in the love aspect of the very heart of God. Now remember Jesus had come forth from the bosom of God. Not another person, but this very same person made manifest as a projected attribute that come out of the eternal. Because we know that God is invisible. Absolutely invisible. But God wanted to become visible. So he gives birth to what was called a son. So God become a son in order to redeem the rest of his sons. Praise be to God. Now in this, the Lord Jesus, when Judas leaves from the upper room after they've had communion, and they go, they go their way and they go into the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Lord Jesus is on the way now, and he's beginning to talk to his disciples. And he begins with around uh, chapter 14 there, 14, 15, 16, 17, if you haven't read it in a while, it'd do you good. And it, it's really, it's profound because here he is going to the crucifixion. 
But you'd never know the great horror that awaits him by what he speaks inside of these chapters. Now if you'll notice, he waits until Judas is gone and then he begins to open up his heart of this intimacy which is fixing to happen just a few days after this. And he begins to relate how that, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, behold, I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I will come again and receive you unto myself. He goes on and begins to, they ask him, show us the Father. And who is the Father? And they said, well, where are you going? Where are you going? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Of course, it done told them that. And they said, where I'm going, you know. He said, how can we know? We don't know where you're going. I, I am the way. I am the entrance into the Father. And he began to speak about an intimate relationship. And he goes on, of course, in, in chapter 15. And he begins to speak about me and the Father will come and make our abode in you. Well, we know every person today who has the Holy Ghost does not have two gods living inside of his body, but he has the Spirit, which is invisible, and he has the impregnated Word, which is also invisible. So it is the two forms of deity by which is revealed, and that is the Spirit of God and the quickened Word. And the church said... And we realize that the Spirit of God is the only one that can make the Word alive. Theologians spend their entire life reading the Bible. They study the Greek, the Aramaic, and they try to study all the diphthongs and how it was all written in. And they spend their entire life with more questions than what they had before they ever started reading it. But God does not reveal Himself by theology, but by revelation. Now the Lord Jesus had begun to drop little things along that there was coming an intimacy which had never been comprehended in the Old Testament. Abraham was called the friend of God. Uh, Moses of course had great relationships with God and Abraham being the friend of God and also being one that God conveyed to him the destruction of Sodom before he ever done it. But yet it was the presence of God would come to these men and visit them and then it would leave them. And they would have great spaces of years of silence silence in their life. And they may not see God. They may not feel God. They may see no manifestation of God for years and years and years. And then once again, God would leave them. And so they were walking around as this empty human vessel all of these years. And they loved him with all of their heart. And they kept what part of the word they had. And they'd done everything they knew to do. But they had no indwelling presence of deity. But God said, I want to change that. So God had Jeremiah to begin to write. And he said that it will come to pass that I will write my laws upon their hearts and I will become inside of them and I will get inside of them and I will be their God and they will be my people. How is God ever going to bring such a thing to pass since the eternal is spirit? Now he cannot just do this in a way by which supernaturally he could have actually declared in heaven, alright man I forgive you on the earth, you're all forgiven, I, I take this aside upon myself and I forgive you but he must do it in a way other than a declaration of word the declaration of the word which is the logos is the mandate of the hour but God must give them something that 
will empower them, that will help them to live the right kind of a life. Now our Lord Jesus came to the earth not only to be the sacrifice for sin, and we know without the shedding of blood, Hebrews 10.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no sacrifice for sin. But he came not only for that, and according to the types and the shadows in Hebrews 7, also Hebrews 9, but he came to give us a life which would empower us and help us to live the word that the Old Testament people could never live on their own. Now that was what Satan would try to take away down through the church ages and get them to swap novenas and all kinds of other things would just believe. Instead of praying to the Lord Jesus, say a Hail Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the time of our departure, amen. And, and then you go over here to the priest and let the priest do this and do that. Satan was absolutely tickled to death when the church adopted that instead of the new birth. Now may I go on to say that Satan does the exact same thing today if we accept what I believe God sent a prophet instead of a new birth. You still ain't got power to overcome sin just by acknowledging God sent a prophet. But there was to be a great intimacy by which this new dispensation would change. It was a new covenant. As Paul, of course, framed it, that if there was a new covenant, there must also by necessity be the death of the testator. The the, the testator was the one that received the testament. And of course, he was the mediator, the one that would stand between God and man. And it was the Lord Jesus. He was the answer, God's answer to the dilemma of man losing his crown, losing his life, losing his position. So God was in Christ reconciling the world back to himself. And when he did that, then what did he do? He went on to impart to members of the body a ministry of reconciliation. And by doing that, he would continue his work in human beings on the earth. Praise be to God. It would be not to establish a church, not to establish a denomination, not to establish a gathering together that would follow after one certain man but it would be the very life of God himself living in the hearts of those individuals now the Lord Jesus as I said had dropped certain key points about this that was going to happen I will come I and my father will come and make our abode in you St. John 15 7 if you abide in me and my words abide in you then ask what you will uh, you know he, he began to break open things of the very heart of God because that's what he was of uh, things that was going to happen but yet in their mind without the Holy Ghost it must have been bewildering it must have been very very confusing as they heard him but he said I've come to manifest or declare my father's name but it's amazing because we have no record that he ever said the name Adonai we have no record that he ever said the name Elohim or he ever said the name El Shaddai or the name Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Tidskanu. We have no record that he ever mentioned the name Kodesh. We never have any written record in the four gospels that Jesus went around in the name of Elohim, in the name of Adonai, I lay hands on you, in the name of Jehovah Jireh, in the name of Jehovah Shalom. But yet he come to manifest the name of God. What was that exactly? Well, to the Hebrews, the name was more than just repeating that person's name. As we would say your name, or you would say my name. But to them, the word name meant everything I identified with that person. It was their character. It was their traits. And this is why that they might give you one name at birth and then as they would watch your 
development in life and your traits and your characteristics, they would actually rename you as you would get older. And they then, you know, the American Indians done exactly the same thing. So there would be an, uh, an event that would take place in an American Indian's life, say as a young brave. And he might have been called a voice of rushing water whenever he was born. Because, you know, the parents liked that name. But then one day as something happened, he saved his little sister or, or something happened and he'd become a great hero. Well, because of that event they would change his name from voice of rushing water and they would name him according to the identification of his heroic display now this is what God did when he changed the name from Abram to Abraham and he changed the name from Sarah S-A-R-A-I to S-A-R-A-H so it was a monumental event so Jesus says I've come to display my father's name what was the father's name well It was the display of the character and the traits that was in the Lord Jesus. The human name of God was going to become the Lord Jesus Christ. And he come to manifest that name, but again, we have no record that Jesus ever used his own name, which was the Father's name, which was the family's name. So Jesus didn't have to go around and say, in my Father's name, Jesus, I lay hands on you. In my Father's name, Jesus, take up your bed and walk. But he was actually the manifestation of the human name of redemption in that he displayed the power that was in the name. Oh, and children of God, when true born-again Christians start manifesting the name of what it actually means to be a born-again Christian, instead of just saying, well, I'm a Christian. Well, people say that today, and they drink, and they lie, they run around, they commit adultery, praise the Lord. They live any kind of life, and yet they say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, you're a Christian by tag. You're a Christian by identification as far as the title, but you're not a Christian by the way you live your life. That's right. But a real Christian is one who has a manifestation of the power of the name. What's the word Christian mean? To be Christ's life. Now, notice in the Lord Jesus is going to bring this now to his brethren. Now, we'll pick up where we were last night, St. John chapter 20, verse 17. Whoever that was all for, God bless you. I hope you enjoyed it. Now, let's go to our notes here in page 2. St. John chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. Now notice here we have Mary that's entered into this phase of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and she comes up as they would do and they would come up and grab the rabbi and they would take a hold of them about knee level. So she bows down like this and she grabs a hold of his legs and she would put her arms or she would start to do it and then he stopped her and she would go toward his knees and she would then bow in obeisance to him. So she bows as she normally did and whenever she did the Lord Jesus Jesus said, don't touch me because I've not yet ascended up into heaven. Now remember, he's the office of the high priest. He must present his blood before the throne of God. He cannot be touched by a mortal as the high priest position was. He must not be able to be able to relate to those humans and that uh, why he'd come this way. Who knows? We'll ask him one day. But she was going to touch him and he stopped her. So he said, I've not yet ascended to my God, but I'm fixing to him. And I said, this is what I want you to do. Go to my brethren now the brethren had not yet received the Holy Ghost they had not yet been baptized as far as they know in the name of Jesus Christ but Jesus himself had baptized them unto repentance 
And they had not yet been baptized by the Holy Spirit. So, but yet he is calling them brethren. Now we have a new institution that is given by the first one of the new race. And that is, it's going to be a family. So it is no longer, he told them in St. John, I no longer call you slaves or servants, but I have called you my friends. Notice the new intimacy that the Holy Spirit is going to bring inside the body. It's going to be a position of friendship with Jesus. It's also going to be a brotherhood in the family of God. In the Old Testament, it could not be called brothers. Moses could be called a great prophet of God. Abraham could be called a friend. But Abraham could not be called a brother of the Messiah. This could only be endowed upon those in the New Testament believers that receive the exact same life that the Messiah himself had. This could only be possible with the shedding of innocent blood and the atonement that was made by the sacrificial lamb would be able to answer to the justice of God because humanly we were all born lost. Is that right? We were born as far as the human part. We were born lost. We were born in darkness. How in the world are we? ever going to become brethren but go to my brethren and say unto them I ascend unto my father amen and your father now watch this the ascension is fixing to bring a unity that never existed before praise God it's even going to be higher than the unity that Adam had in the garden of Eden it's going to be something that's going to come inside of human beings and so permeate their soul that according to Ephesians 4.30 grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed until the day of your redemption. It will take you farther back in the genealogy of God than Adam was in the Garden of Eden because as I said last night what Adam had he fell from. But what, once you get this you'll never fall away from it again. Because the old man is dead according to what Paul said in the book of Hebrews the worshiper once purged has no more conscience or desire of sin because the sin nature is eradicated in the soul and then it becomes what? The quickened nature given to you by God. Your old body will bother you. It will aggravate you of course because it's not yet fully redeemed. According to Romans 8, we are longing for that time whenever the creation of God will be changed and that is the final stage of this in our mortal body. But this intimacy which could only be dreamed about. David longed for it. Don't you see why David felt this when he would go up to the temple which was then just a tent on the outside of Jerusalem and David would go up and he brought it up from the holy place there and David felt this awesome presence of the Shekinah in behind the third, the second veil and he knew there was something there and he longed, he said oh God my heart longs for you, you imagine a man that had this kind of longing but he never was able to get the Holy Ghost, he could love God with every ounce of his soul that he could and that same man caused Uriah to be killed the same man take another man's wife and commit adultery, a same man number the children of Israel and the plagues of God move upon them and thousands of them die in one day and yet God this man that loved God
God so much and God meant everything to him. But he could not be born again in the Old Testament. But God said, I am going to make a new covenant. I will change it to where I will no longer just give them books to read. I won't just give them the prophet's words to memorize. But I will get inside of them. I will live inside of them. I will re-crown man. But it will not just be the crown of an estate in the Garden of Eden. It will not be the crown that Adam lost. For I made him lower than the angels. I gave him a crown of glory and honor. He forfeited that crown. But I will produce something which can never be reversed. I will crown man with eternal life. I will seal his soul. I will so redeem him. He will have no more desire of sin. I will purge him that I will actually put him beyond the chasm on the other side with no more desire of sin. Oh my, notice this Jesus said, I go to my brethren and say unto them, or rather you go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend unto my father and your father, to my God and your God. Now I want you to notice now how that the Lord Jesus is placing this in the sense because he is now in his resurrected glorified body. But he wants the message to be clear among his brethren that once he gets to heaven, he's not going to lay aside his body of humanity. Amen. Amen. My father identifies him with still maintaining a human identity when he moves into the heavenly realm. My God identifies him of maintaining this glorified humanity. Amen. You see, if he does not have that today, he cannot be our appropriate high priest in the presence of God, which Ephesians or Hebrews 4 tells us that he is. Is that right? If he is a theophany, if he is like an angelic being, a supernatural being, he cannot feel the feelings of our infirmities. But he is not just that. He is a glorified human. Notice this in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 12. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. So as I said, he did not mention the name Elohim. He did not mention the name El Shaddai, El Gabor. Many of the great names of God that we could identify with in the Old Testament. El, Elah, Elohim. But he was declaring the very character of God. This was his name. The Lord Jesus himself was the manifestation of the name of God. God. Notice this in verse 13. And again, I will put my trust in him. Now those of you that know these scriptures, you know that Paul is actually taking excerpts from Psalms. Excerpts from Isaiah. Excerpts and one-liners as it were from the words of the prophets and putting them together and making this New Testament context. And he said again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold I and the children which God hath given me. So like an older brother who understands the divine providence of the father one who understands the eternal sovereignty and the great program of the eternal this older brother designates a ministry on the earth and a body which will be endued with divine knowledge 
which will help the younger brothers, amen, be able to understand what they're here for and what their purpose is. As the older brother, our care, our charge is given unto whom our older brother, which was a human. Praise God. We were not given to Gabriel. We were not given to a seraphim or a cherubim. But we were given to now who has become the Lord Jesus Christ who was at one time a human body. A human being that is now glorified. But even though he moved into the realm of glory, he still maintains that human identity. Amen. And he says, I am the children which God has given me. So as their elder brother, as the captain of their salvation, he will accordingly be able to reveal now for 2,000 years down to the church ages the mysteries of God in every age. As the light was allocated for the age, he'll reveal it with the full end time coming back in the last days when there would be a bride back into her position. Notice again in verse 13, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children which God has given unto me. So then the children become Christ's seed or his offspring. Amen. They are identified with him. He is identified with them. Now notice in verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. You mean to tell me that because we were identified as humans, he become a human on our behalf. You'll notice the way that Paul writes this and he places it that the children of God already existed in some form before the Lord Jesus was incarnate. Now you don't remember it of course and I don't either because we were attributes in his being. But he knew what we were going to become. We were not even existent yet in the element of time. But Adam had been. Moses had been. And all the elect of God in the Old Testament had been. And he said, this is the reason that it becomes flesh. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself. So the very reason he became man was because you were. And we're going to be. Prophetically, now remember when this is written, you wasn't even born yet. This is what your Bible says. For as much then as the children, not goats, who were going to become sheep, but already children. Where? In the mind of God. As the children are partakers of flesh and body, also himself took like time, excuse me, likewise took part of the same that through death. He might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. So our Savior's birth in the flesh is the earnest or the down payment of our rebirth in the soul. Now by him becoming a man and the power of God living in a human being, it is a sign that God has a great program, of course, in mind. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. Now this is not children of the world. This is not even necessarily the church, the whosoever world group, but those that are the children of God. And they will everyone be brought to glory and there will be none lost. And the saints said... 
He must come though in the realm of infirmity. He must come in the realm of mortality to be able to bring his brothers from that same sphere. Now Adam was of course being the head of the, the first race. And when Adam fell and forfeited his rights and he forfeited the crown by which God had given to him and God made him in that state on the basis of where he knew what he would do. Because God of course has his foreknowledge and God knew what Adam would do. He didn't make him do it. But he knew what he would do. But God already had a plan before this had ever taken place. Now the word took part. I love the word here. The Greek word that's used. The word translated took part is not the same word as partakers but it implies taking part of something that is outside of yourself so it's not something that you're accustomed to it's not something that you are but it's something that you took part of which was outside of yourself now we took part of it because it was who we were right we were human beings our mother was a human y'all's mother a human Y'all's father human? Oh, Lord, don't tell me the rest of y'all's mothers are baboons. Y'all ain't, y'all ain't monkeys, are you? Was your mother a human? Your father a human? Your grandma, your aunt, your uncles? Oh, no. Okay, so you're human. All right, so then we partook of human flesh because it was in our ancestry to be a human. But in his ancestry, it was he was the word. So he pre-existed in the form of the word, but not as a human being. So he partook of something that he was not in order to redeem those who were. Amen. He had to partake of something that he was not in order to redeem those of us who become that. So it was an assuming of a human nature which he was not before his incarnation. Notice this in Hebrews 2.15. And delivers them through fear of death. Were all their lifetime subject bondage for verily he took not on him the nature of angels but he took on him the seed of Abraham wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren now wait a minute I thought it was the new birth that made them brethren. How is it that Paul is here referring to them that they are brothers pre-incarnation of the Christ? That actually them, their future, their destiny so intertwines with his that because they were human, he must become human. Well, if he sends him to the earth and, you know, just put, throws out this plan of so-called salvation, maybe somebody will be saved, maybe somebody will believe him, maybe somebody will come to him. Where do you get that at in the Bible? Here's my God's version of salvation. He become a human being because his brothers were humans. And the rest of them that hadn't been born was going to be. Notice, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. And this is the reason why. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make, what? What's the word? 
Reconciliation. Ah. Reconciliation. Which is not bringing a person to a state that they've never been. Say, me and Brother Dow have a fallen out. And the devil gets between us and causes hard feelings and hard words. And y'all say, man, we need to pray for Brother Donnie and Brother Dow. The devil just got between them. Boy, they're not even speaking or nothing. And y'all are praying for what? For me to get to meet Brother Dow the first time? For Brother Dow to meet me the first time? And us become friends and acquaintances? Y'all are praying for our reconciliation. Because at one time we were friends. At one time we were buddies. And something come between us. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus came to the earth to fulfill the plan of reconciliation by kenosis. Which was emptying himself out. In order to bring back this divine relationship that existed before there was ever a devil. Oh, brother, sister, this is why I love preaching this way. Because man had this that was in the mind of God before there was ever this angelic being called Lucifer. And when there is no more Lucifer, man will be restored back into the presence of God. When there is no more sickness, you still will be. When there is no trouble, when there is no rioting, when there is no anxiety, you will be forever in the heavens with eternal life. Let's stand. Whew. Where'd that time go? My goodness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Don't you love him this morning? Brother Daniel, let's go over here to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. Should be just a little bit down below where you are there. Listen to this. We'll pick this up again Wednesday. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted. He is able to succor. And the word there, succor, is bring relief or help or bring aid. Succor them that are tempted. Now, you know yourself, if you've ever really went through difficult times of temptation, no matter what form the temptation was in, there can be a suffering that comes with temptation. It's not just in your mind, it's, but it's actually the temptation brings a suffering on your human body, your mind, your spirit. The Lord Jesus allowed himself to experience the suffering of temptation. So it was not like it was just an act. Well, I'm going to act like I'm being tempted, but really I'm not. This is not bothering me at all. It did bother him. Praise the Lord. Let me read this to you and we'll close. The sermon entitled Deity of Jesus Christ preached December the 25th, 1949. How was it God's blood? God has no blood. How could it be? Because it was God's creative blood that he created in order to redeem us. And came and lived in that same body that he created. He could not. God had to suffer temptation. He couldn't suffer temptation. And he had to suffer sexual temptation. He had to suffer all kinds of temptation. 
to be tempted by the devil in riches and powers and dominions. Now you see, this gives us an insight further than what Matthew 4 and Luke 4 does to show us that Jesus actually was tempted in a sexual manner. He was tempted in the manner of power, the distribution of power, and also in dominions. Why? Because you would be. He had to suffer all kinds of temptation. To be tempted by the devil in riches and power and dominions and so forth. He had to suffer all of that in order to do it. He couldn't be as God in spirit. He had to be God in flesh. Let me read another one. Man always feared death. Christ became sin. Made low to take death upon himself. And he's not ashamed to be called our brother. For he was tempted like we're tempted. And to be the right kind of intercessor. Because he stood the same kind of temptation that you stand. And he took your place. Knowing that you couldn't take it yourself. If God this day required me to be perfect and sinless, there's no way I could ever do it. For God to demand of me perfection, there's no way I could do it. So he took my place and gave me his life. So it was a transfer. He gave me his life. And what did I give him? My shame, my sin, my lies, my shortcomings, all my wickedness, all my wrongdoing, my penalty of death, he suffered for me. And he gave me the crown of life. Praise be to God. Don't you love him, friends? What's this one in paragraph 173? Christ became sin that you might become righteous. And he's the right kind of a chief captain of our salvation because he suffered just like we suffered. He's been tempted just like we're tempted. And he's not ashamed to be called our brother. I want you to notice the examples when Brother Branham relates to him in the form of brotherhood. It's brotherhood in the avenue of temptation. Not just brotherhood in the form of shared deity. We are brothers in that we share deity. The Holy Ghost in us is deity. But these references, the way he wants us to look on the Lord Jesus in the time of our need, Brother Jim, is not that he's this fierce, angry God that's waiting for you to mess up. And when you mess up, boy, he's coming after you. He's going to whip you and he's going to get you and he's going to hang you over hell and burn you to your toenails, curl up. He wants you to be identified with him as your brother when you're in the midst of temptation. And the truth of it is, we will fail sometimes in those temptations. But he never 
Not one time did he ever yield. Praise God. But as our brother, he's still there. When we yield and do wrong, John said, a little children, I write unto you. And if any man sin, I said, I write unto you first that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate. Where is the, the Greek word parakletos? One called alongside to help or an attorney. We have an advocate with the Father, which is Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the perpetuation for our sins and not for ours only but for the sins of the whole world. I wonder if Satan don't play tricks on us. But they did it whenever we fall short of the glory of God, that the imagery in our mind when we approach God, that now Satan plays the switcheroo. And now instead of him being our brother, our brother that wants to intercede, our brother which understands that in our minds he's this angry, vengeful God. And that we're ashamed to go to him because of what he will say. But remember, he gives you love when you least deserve it. This is where it takes his love and us to help us. And you know how it is. Boy, it ain't hard to love those that love you and those that are kind to you. But to be able to love those that in reality, they don't even deserve your kindness. They don't even deserve a kind word. They've lied on you. They've let you down. They've disappointed you. It takes Jesus in your soul to help you to be able to love a person like that when they don't even deserve it. How many needs help in that department of your life? Yeah, I understand. Now, which would mean more to you to heal the leper, to heal the lame, to heal the halt, to cripple? Or be able to love like Jesus. Praise God. Can we pray together? Our blessed Lord. As we bow our heads to the dust of the earth. From whence these bodies were taken. It is with gratitude and thanksgiving. That we say thank you today. Lord we're Gentiles which meant at one time we were without the covenant of Israel. We wouldn't have even been allowed to come in to the house of God, much less to the Holy of Holies. But Father God, by what you did, your great work at the cross, you made a way and you rent the veil in two that we would be able to have access to the throne of God today. For that we are grateful. Lord Jesus, we confess that we have been delivered. We are no longer slaves of sin. Our soul has received the crown of life, which means the crown of sonship cannot be on the same soul as the slave ring. So if we've received the crown of life, the token, then it means the slave ring, which was on our hand at one time, is no longer there which means we're freed from the slavery of sin. But we still be, deal with these mortal bodies of ours because they've not been changed yet. Lord, we need you to help us in the time of weakness and trouble. You see, our nation, Lord, just dealing with all this virus stuff, Father, and so many, not only our nation, but the world,
so many hundreds of thousands of people, Lord, that have died and succumbed to it. And God, we pray for your mercy that should bring healing. Now, Lord, we see our, our nation interrupted, Father. Again, with these riots that are taking place. Lord God, what a terrible thing that one police officer would overstep the call of duty and take the life of an unarmed man. What a horrible thing, God. That's what we have when we have people who have authority and don't have character to match it. And then, Lord, we see these other people that just move off of such and they love mayhem and they love to cause such things. Lord God, we know that one of the signs in Genesis 6 of the first destruction on the earth by the Andalusian destruction was violence. And Genesis 6 uses this word violence was on the earth. We see it, Lord, as it's repeating again. We know there's only one hurt, one hope. That is the coming of the Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Every day we live on this earth, it's one more day that proves it's becoming less fitting for us to live here. Help us, I pray, Father, to be ready, Lord. May you minister to the needs of your people today, I ask, in the name of Jesus. Thank you for allowing us to live in this end time, Father. Surely it's a difficult time. It's a very great time of trouble. Many are distraught and they don't know what to do. But Lord Jesus, we cry, lead us to the rock that is higher than I. When we are overwhelmed and we don't know what to do, lead us to the rock. Don't lead us to a church building somewhere. Don't lead us to a political party. But lead us to the rock. That is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for us, Lord, in the time of trouble. God, may you bring healing to your people. May you bring deliverance, Father, from fear and anxiety and depression of Satan. Help us to realize there's only one thing that can bring lasting peace. And that's the Lord Jesus. Father God, may we leave here today with a new insight, Lord, of what Calvary brought to us as your people. You desire us to walk with you every day. This is not something you want us to have three times a week. But when the sisters are making bread or making donuts for the children or making their bed or sweeping the floors or whatever they're doing, the brothers when they're doing their garden or when they're working, whatever it is, Lord, you want to speak to them and have fellowship with them. You want to just wait till we come to church. You don't want to just wait till their time is called. But, oh God, you long for fellowship in their homes, fellowship in their walk. Forgive us, Lord, for not giving you that time. We love you, Lord Jesus. We worship you today, mighty God. We bless your name, Lord Jesus. Can we just raise our hands in the presence of the King? No matter what you need is today, friend. He wants you to keep in mind he's your brother when you fail. Oh my. He's your brother in the time of your needs and your anxiety. A comforter. One called alongside to help you. But Brother Donnie, I, I don't even deserve it. That's right. I don't either. But that's when he wants you to know you're still family. You're still family. 
whenever you fall short of the glory of God, it don't mean all of a sudden you become a goat. It don't mean all of a sudden you're a child of the devil. No. You're still in the family. As I've told you before, over and over again, when the prodigal son was in the pig pen, he was not a pig. He was a backslidden son. Praise God. He was a lost son, not a lost hog. And you may feel so far away from God, and Satan may try to convince you you're a lost cause. No, you're not a lost cause. You're a lost son or daughter. And the Lord Jesus is your high priest. I want you to remember today, he is your older brother. Can you imagine an older brother? The prophet gives us a story of a younger brother that got in trouble, got in legal trouble. But he had a rich brother who was very wealthy. And this younger brother was fined. The judgment of the judge at the court was given great fines and the man did not have the ability to be able to pay his fine. But his rich older brother came and paid the fine and brought his brother's liberty. And then the prophet said, and we had an older brother, the Lord Jesus. He come and paid the fine so the family could be free. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Sing something for us here. Praise be to God. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We magnify your holy name, Lord God. May we become the name manifested, Lord. May we not just by title bear the title Christian, but may folks look at our lives and see a love that is beyond churchanity. May they see a love that even goes beyond Reagan love or Yance or Smith or Brown or whatever more. May the love of a Christian so reach out, Lord, to people that have treated us horrible and terrible. But, oh God, may Jesus, I've seen you through my hands, oh God, heal cancer. I've seen you through my hands, oh God. Stop heart attacks. Right here on the Johnson City ICU unit. I've seen you, oh God. Curse gross. And them leave the sick bodies. I thank you for all those things. But my petition today, Lord God, would be let me be more like you in this way. For God so loved the world that He gave. But don't say the greatest expression of God's love was He healed. He walked on water. God so loved the world that He opened the eyes of the blind. But God so loved the world that He gave. So it helps us to see one of the greatest expressions of the love of God is giving. To whom? Those who don't even deserve it. You made us lovable, Lord God, when we were unlovable. Then you and us will help us love others when in reality they're not even lovable. Praise God. We worship you, Lord Jesus. This is your time, friends. This is your hour. 
the light of the gospel is now shining in the end time to bring us to a place of ripeness. Sing something for us, Harry. Let's just worship just a little before we go. Can we have a few minutes before you go with your lunch? Lord Jesus. Yes, Father. Yes, Father God. There is none like you. I worship Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, of peace. Amen. That is what I, I don't want to have to be made to do it. It's what I want to do. It's what I want to do. I give, I give you praise for you. Saints with all your heart. Praise there God. There is, is none. none. There is none. Like you. Oh, praise God. The same that I could still go free. Praise God. You can love me up in a prison.
be honest, after the service today, I'm understanding it a lot better. Why King would leave heaven's throne. Oh, to dawn. Glory to God. Of an earthly man. sing just a little more before we go. The day before yesterday they crucified my Lord beat him unmercifully and nailed him to a tree the sky grew dark and the earth began to fall. Oh, Jesus, people cried, surely we've crucified the Son of God. Everybody now help me. 
Praise God! Oh, broke the bread. 
did you enjoy the word of the Lord this morning? Amen. So thankful for his presence this morning. I want to remember Brother Jack Yance. Uh, he'll be having a heart monitor put on this week. So we certainly want to keep him in our prayers this week. Amen. As he has this procedure done. Amen. Let's just sing this little course as the deacons come to dismiss you this morning. Thanks. Thanks. I give you thanks. Amen. If we have nothing else to thank him for, just to be here this morning. Amen. And the many blessings that we have. I know many times we, we forget what the Lord's done for us, but may he just remind us this morning. Oh, I just want to say thanks. Thanks. I give you thanks for all you've done. Give you.